The Joker by Scott Leopold, Chapter 13 When Amanda came to see me this morning, she asked if my sleeping medicine was working. When I take it, I have the most vivid dreams, I explained. Are they nightmares? she asked. Not always. Sometimes they are, but other times they're just random. What was last night's dream like? Well... I was in the beach house that Brooke and I rented back when our kids were young, I began. It was a beautiful three-story home with a wraparound porch on each level except the third, which was just a tiny room leading to a deck overlooking the ocean. The view was gorgeous, the kind that leaves a permanent image in your memory. That sounds wonderful, Jack. Tell me more. While I was on the deck, I hear the ocean. The sky was perfectly blue. I had never felt so calm in my entire life. The whole thing was perfect, but it felt surreal. In the distance, I saw my boys playing in the beach. They reminded me of how innocent we are as children, unbroken. I heard wind chimes. Amanda took notes. Dylan motioned with his hand as he ran, signaling me to come join him. I stood there admiring my children. Nothing ever felt so perfect. The only word I could use to describe the moment is complete. If this is a dream, I will kill the man who tries to wake me, I thought to myself. Amanda stops writing when she hears the sadness in my voice. When I woke, I can't even describe the pain I felt. If there is a hell, I'm in it now. Or maybe I'm in purgatory, I don't know. All I want is to stay in my dream, to be with my family. Jack, I'm so sorry I didn't tell you sooner about your family. I saw the corners of her mouth sag. Can I ask you something personal, I questioned. I'm sorry, Jack, but it's not appropriate for me to discuss anything personal with you, she replied. I sense a deep sadness in you. What happened to you that was so bad, I prodded. She glanced down at her notebook as if she was going to write something down. Releasing her eyes from the yellow tablet, she looked back up. That's nice of you to ask. I wish the sadness hadn't come across. I guess it takes time for that not to show. Well, I'm running out of stuff to write about, so tell me what's making you sad. Maybe it'll inspire me, I said. Jack, I told you before that it's not appropriate, and I am far from sharing at this point, even with those close to me. You know, it's not good to hide your feelings. You need to talk about them in order to process them. Maybe you should take your own advice and journal about it. Yes, I totally agree, but let's get back to you. I'm running out of stuff to write about, I explained. Have you written about how you met Brooke? No, but I've spent a lot of time thinking about life. What do you mean? Amanda asked. Well, one way or another, we end up alone. The people we love will eventually leave us, whether we push them away or they die. Either way, in the end, we're alone. This makes death not so scary. That's pretty jaded, but also very insightful, Amanda replied. I shrugged. So as insightful as you are, Jack, I have a question for you. 
What distinction do you feel exists between the heart and the soul? Hmm. Well, the heart is vulnerable, something we protect. Every time it's broken, we build a wall around it. For some, their heart is so broken that they find themselves surrounded by an endless maze of walls. They let no one in. For the unbroken, the heart connects them to others. For a broken people like myself, it's protected by walls. Amanda shifts in her seat. Now the soul, on the other hand, is the voice of our heart. It's harmony. When we feel alone, it sings for help. And when it's full, it sings in joy. And when it's broken, it cries. Wow, Jack, did you read that somewhere? No, I, I made it up. Were you thinking about Brooke when you made this up? No, I was thinking about you. Amanda didn't respond. She just looked at me and smiled. When Amanda left the room, my thoughts went back to my family. I don't think I'll ever see them again. All I want is to be asleep, but sleep is like a cat. It comes and goes when it wants. So I wrote in my journal instead. Journal entry. After my stay at the Legacy Farm, Child Protective Services sent me back with my mother and grandfather. I was happy to be home. While I was gone, Grandpa Bob hit a low point in his life. His drinking was so out of control it caused him to lose the business he had worked so hard to build. He had hit rock bottom. So after years of struggling, he finally decided to sober up and go to Alcoholics Anonymous. Sometimes I went to the meetings with him. I would play in the lobby while everyone told their crazy stories inside. Going to AA seemed to be working for him. On the day my grandfather got his six-month token, the one with the unity, service, and recovery triangle on it, he took me to the meeting with him. Grandpa Bob was so proud of his accomplishment. When he accepted his coin, he stood in front of his metal folding chair. Behind him were five matching rows for the 50 attendees. There was not an empty seat in the large rec recreation room of the small church where Grandpa Bob was telling his story to a newly sober group of men and women. When I was a kid, he started, my brother, who was two years older than me, became ill. I was only five, but I remember all the doctors and hospital visits. He cleared his throat and continued, my brother eventually died of leukemia and I lost my best friend. Grandpa Bob closed his eyes as if he was watching a movie in the back of his eyelids. It was very hard on my mother. Her response to losing Jimmy was to control every move I made. She never allowed me to do anything that was even remotely dangerous. Yes, I sort of understand why. But I love to play sports. I love to take risks. He pounded his fist on the podium. I wanted to play football in high school, so I snuck around my mother's back and went to tryouts. I made the team. My mother was furious when she found out. She told me I was selfish, that I didn't care about how much I hurt her. Pausing, Grandpa Bob took a deep breath. He wiped the beads of sweat from the top of his forehead. When they picked me to be the quarterback, my mother and I had a showdown. 
I'm sure the neighbors heard that one. I threatened to run away if she didn't let me play, so she conceded. My father worked a lot. If he was home, he took no part in the arguments that centered around me. After all, he had lost his firstborn, the one with all the potential. He had little interest in me. I always felt like he resented me because I was alive. I was pretty much invisible to him. Grandpa Bob's face turned red like he had been out in the summer sun. This made me want to show him I was someone, that I was alive, visible. I worked my way up to starting quarterback. I thought for sure this would get my father's attention. I knew he thought football was a waste of time, but I always looked for him in the stands during the games, hoping to see him. I needed his affirmation. It never happened. Grandpa Bob's eyes filled with sadness. I led my team to a state championship, which was the first in Owen Valley High School history. You would think it would have impressed my father, but it didn't. This led me to my first shot of whiskey. I loved how it made me feel, despite its taste. When I got back from World War II, I really drank heavily. I wanted to forget everything. My brother's death, my father's utter dismissal of me, and what I saw in the war. I am here today to pick up the broken pieces. I want to get my life together. I'm scared as hell because now, sober, I have to face the demons that have haunted me since my brother's death. The 12-step program worked for Grandpa Bob. After sobering up, he got a job as a used car salesman. Morris, one of his old drinking buddies, was the sales manager at Bud Wolf Chevrolet and got him the job. It turned out Grandpa Bob was a natural salesman. While Grandpa Bob was attending AA meetings, he met a charismatic man named Adam, a local minister who was a frequent speaker at the meetings. Grandpa Bob was so impressed with Adam that he thought it was exactly what my mother needed in her life. So he brought Adam home to meet her. My mother fell for him instantly. Seeing her father get his life together for the first time, my mother decided it was time for her to do the same. She went to the small church groups and Bible studies that Adam would organize. Within weeks, she had fully integrated into his small church. Both my mother and Grandpa Bob were acting differently. I even heard Grandpa Bob talking about the steps he was taking to live a sober life. My mother was talking about Christ and forgiveness. This was a new experience for me. I wasn't sure it was going to stick. Grandpa Bob wasn't hanging out at the Alley Cat anymore. He was putting in long days at the used car lot, and he was going to his AA meetings every day at lunch. And my mother was speaking a foreign language with all of her amens and praise the Lord's. The whole thing was crazy, and I didn't like it. Grandma's Daisy's church has discipline and organization. When we go, we stand, sit, kneel, stand up again, sing, sit down again, and wait in line for communion. My mother had found the most wacko church possible, the door to a religion that was exact, the exact opposite of what I experienced with Grandma Daisy. People jumped up and down, waved their arms in the air, and shouted, Praise the Lord! They yelled out words I wasn't even sure were words. 
Some people ran up and down the aisles and fell on the ground, shaking like they were having seizures. Compared to Grandma Daisy's church, this new religious experience was weird. They quoted scripture every time they made a point and then shouted, Praise the Lord! Something about the whole thing didn't seem genuine to me. Running around in Broderpool, I met my share of characters, but this church seemed to be the epicenter of crazies. There were former drug users, hookers, and convicted felons. My mother took me on Sundays, and I would go to Sunday school, which was something else I had never experienced. When I went with Grandma Daisy, I sat with her and worshipped with the adults. This new place was a non-traditional church in a strip mall. The sign above the front door said, The New Church of Christ, in big black letters. As soon as you stepped through the glass double doors in front, your attention fell on a crucifix on the far wall. Underneath it was an old wooden podium for the minister. It wasn't long before my mother had me attending church on Saturday nights and Sundays. Everyone carried Bibles, quoted scriptures, and talked about salvation. There was an air of arrogance as they pontificated to one another. I thought it was crazy. However, I did like a good adventure, and this looked very interesting. Plus, they played fun games on Saturday nights, and something felt pleasantly different about my mother. The wonder of all wonders. She stopped cussing. She was acting like a mother. Unlike at home, the church felt safe. There were no drunken boyfriends smacking me around or telling me to go away. Instead, they treated me with respect. They welcomed me when I walked in the door. Despite the church's weirdness, it was getting easier and easier for me to accept it. Plus, Adam was a hard guy not to like. He had a gift for seeing the perfect thing. He even handled the hard questions with flair. I remember asking him so many things, like, in school we're learning about the Big Bang Theory, but in Sunday school we're learning about Adam and Eve. I'm really confused. I don't know what to believe. Adam explained that the Big Bang Theory supposed that two molecules found each other in this vast universe. When they collided, it caused a reaction that spawned another reaction. The entire phenomena created what we call the universe. He said it takes a large leap of faith to believe that two molecules found each other in such a vast open space rather than to believe God created it all by design. He told me to imagine two people standing on either end of a football field, each armed with a BB gun. He challenged me to consider the odds that they could point those BB guns at an angle that intersects, and then when they fire, the BBs would hit in midair. Later that week, Adam took me to one of the parishioner's farms to witness the birth of a cult. It blew me away. There was no doubt in my mind that God created the universe. Seeing that baby cult walk within an hour of being born was an overwhelming experience. There was no way that was random. There had to be something behind it. Adam had the answers and I liked him. He was unlike anyone I had ever met before. I was looking up to him as a role model, something I had always been missing in my life. My mother was treating me differently. She was showing me attention. She was listening to me. This change made me like everything about Adam's church. 
After a few months of Sunday school and Bible study, Adam invited my mother and me to go on a church camp out. I was so excited. I had never been camping before. We would fish, swim, and hike. Then at night, we would have a campfire and cook s'mores. When the time finally came, everyone met in the church parking lot next to the Dollar General. We then loaded up the black and yellow bus that Adam borrowed from the Boys and Girls Club of Indianapolis. My mother and I sat together in the first row of the faded green seats. Under her breath, she told me all the gossip about everyone as they climbed on the bus. Diane has been doing really well. She gets her oldest son back later this month. She's so excited. Oh, and there's Betty. She had about it with Satan again. Every time she gets herself together, Satan comes along and takes it all away. We must remember to pray for her tonight. Okay, Jack? It was weird to hear my mother talk like that, but she was showing me attention, and that's all that mattered. It wasn't long before we arrived. Turkey Run State Park was only a few hours from Indianapolis and was well known for its beautiful sandstone gorges. Exiting the bus, Adam and a few other males directed the adults to set up their tents, then sent the kids to collect wood for the campfire. After the campsite was set up, Adam took us fishing. Walking up the river, we found a nice spot where Adam taught us how to hook a worm and cast our line. I had already learned about fishing from Jim, but I didn't want to ruin the moment, so I sat in silence, listening to Adam's every instruction. Later that evening, everyone sat around the campfire while Adam said a prayer. When he finished, we sang Christian camp songs. I looked around with my mother by my side, taking it all in. I felt like I had a family. As it got late, people drifted off to their tents. My mother and I snuggled deep in our sleeping bags and talked about how much fun we were having. It wasn't long before my eyes grew heavy. I was asleep within minutes. When I woke, a short time later, I had an eerie feeling. I noticed my mother was not in her sleeping bag. I unzipped the tent and looked outside. In the distance, I could hear voices but couldn't make out what they were saying. Following the sounds led me to Adam's tent. I hesitated before I unzipped the front. When I did, I found my mother naked on top of him. I felt my heart stop. Then it raced. When Adam saw me, he yelled, Get out of here! I couldn't believe what I had seen. And my mother, I felt like I would throw up. Once again, she had betrayed my trust. Even worse, I felt lied to by Adam, a man who professed to adhere to God's word. God would not like what I saw. Maybe there's no God. Every time something good happens to me, it ends in sadness. I told myself I would never, ever trust anyone again. When I returned to my tent, I buried myself in my sleeping bag, got out my flashlight, and read my comic books trying to forget what happened. With my eyes wide open, I waited for my mother to come back. She didn't, nor did I sleep at all that night. I wanted so badly to be back home with Brooke, 
to escape to the railroad tracks I loved so much. The next, the next morning when my mother returned, I couldn't look at her. No matter how hard I tried, there was no getting the pictures of what I saw out of my head. It ate me up inside, making me resent her deeply. While we were out on our camping trip, Grandpa Bob started drinking again. It started after work one day when Morris and Grandpa Bob came back to our townhome. It was the middle of July, which meant it was hot and sticky. The air was so thick it left a musty aftertaste in your mouth when you swallowed. Morris had a brown paper sack that contained six Paps Blue Ribbon beers. He pulled one from the bag. The moisture from the can left its imprint on Morris's shirt when he pulled the can to his chest. As Morris opened the can, my grandfather heard the familiar fizz sound. It was music to his ears. A light mist sprayed from the top of the can as some foam slowly erupted from the opening. Morris read the look on my grandfather's face. Here, have one, he said, reaching into his brown sack and tossing one to Grandpa Bob. When my grandfather caught the beer, his face wrinkled up like a walnut shell. That's a bad idea, he said. I haven't had a drink in six months. Oh, come on. One beer won't hurt. You did a hard day's work. You deserve it. Just have one and relax, Morris said as he sipped from his can. My grandfather cracked open the can of what he had fought so hard to give up. This beer would not only hurt, but it would lead to one of the biggest drinking binges of his life. One I would hear about often during his Alcoholics Anonymous meetings later in life. When my mother and I returned from our awkward bus trip home, we said nothing about what happened. We grabbed our things from the bus and headed home where we found Grandpa Bob sitting in the dark with a bottle of whiskey in his hand. I could smell the alcohol on him as soon as we stepped into the room. My mother nodded as she looked up. Walking over, she grabbed the bottle and took a pull. She then swallowed loudly as if she was trying to drown out the thoughts in her mind. Looking at them sitting in the dark, I knew bad things were coming.